welcome to this next episode in our Total Sports Two Oceans Marathon 2022 podcast series. Good day, everybody. Uh, once again, welcome to From the Boardroom to the Locker Room. And today we have two distinguished and esteemed guests on the show, uh, Professor Andrew Bosch, who is uh, an expert with regards to uh, exercise marathon-wise. And with regards to sleep, we have Dr. Dale Ray, the Director of Sleep Science and a Senior Researcher at the University of Cape Town. First of all, let's start with Professor Bosch. The Two Oceans Total Sports Two Oceans Marathon back on for 2022 as a runner yourself. You must be delighted that the race is back uh, on the road. Yes, absolutely. It looked as if it wasn't going to happen uh, for a while, but it's finally it is. And uh, hopefully runners haven't been caught off guard, so to speak, uh, in that they've been a little bit slack in their training and lacking a little bit in distance and so on. So hopefully they've got that under control. So as the head of the High Performance Center and also expert with regards to long distance running and your history and your record of being involved in marathons, would you agree with me that this year's race is going to be different to any other in terms of the amount of time runners have perhaps been off the road in terms of their training? Yes, and you'll see that that's a kind of a guarded yes. There are, there are a lot of runners out uh, who have maintained good training throughout the lockdown period and are, are in very good shape. But certainly there's a very large percentage that have maybe, as I indicated earlier, been caught napping a little bit and uh, became a little bit slack, especially on their, their longer runs. So uh, I've encountered quite a few runners that maybe, whereas they normally would have been able to run 30 kilometers or thereabouts with ease uh, early in January, uh, normally because of the uh, bay-to-bay that would normally happen early in January. Uh, this year, they're not quite in the same shape and maybe lacking a little bit on distance. So I think there's certainly runners out there that are going to be well-prepared and there are others that are playing catch-up a little bit. And that could be a dangerous game because trying to catch up is always fraught with uh, likelihood of injury and so on in running. So runners need to be pretty cautious on trying to close that gap that they perceive might exist and maybe does for quite a few. So we'll move on to Dr. Dale Ray for a moment, the Director of Sleep Science and a Senior Researcher at the University of Cape Town. Dale, it's it's a subject sleep uh, sciences in the last decade maybe or so has become a, a big uh, topic of discussion and something that's of great importance, uh, which I think most of us, because it's something that we tend to do so naturally, wake up in the morning, go to sleep at night, wake up in the morning, take for granted. But uh, as by mentioning the fact that you are a director of sleep science, tell us how important it is. And I know it sounds like a stupid question, but how important is sleep in terms of being a runner? It's not a silly question at all. It's a great question, really. Um, And you're quite right. There's been an explosion of interest in sleep as it relates to health and to sports performance in the last 10 years or so. Um, So I'm super lucky to be involved in that um, area from a research and a practical perspective. But for runners, sleep is critical. And it's a lot of people think that sleep's important when it comes to race day and preparing 
you know, sort of the night before must have a good night of sleep before the race. But actually, it's far more important in your training. And, you know, you have uh, five weeks still to go before the big day. So it's, it's definitely not too late now to make sure that sleep is well incorporated into your training program. And the reason for that is that sleep's role from an athletics perspective is really in terms of recovery. It's probably the most understated and underrated area of recovery that athletes need to be cognizant of. And it doesn't matter whether you're the guy going or the, or the girl going for the um, race win or this is your first event you would do really, really well to prioritize sleep and make sure it's incorporated um, with very clear boundaries into your um, training program. Because when we sleep, it's when we do so much of our physical repair and recovery. So from an adaptation to training perspective, it's critical to make sure that you get the most out of each training session so that you adapt as best as possible so that you can push yourself hard again in the next session so that you can keep on um, improving or sustaining performance. It's also really important from an immune perspective, though, because when we sleep, our immune system is super active. So it's got a very important role in making sure that we keep ourselves healthy because there's nothing worse than turning up a few days before race day and finding that we are now sick and we're unable to take part or that we can't take part at the pace at which we would like to compete. And I guess also, if I may, those athletes that think that a week before the start of the race, they can go to bed early and get a good eight hours or nine hours sleep the night before, and that's going to help them. You obviously need to put your body clock into a long-term process so that it adapts to the times you go to sleep and the times you wake up to enable you to perform on the day of the race. That's really true. We really like to consider our body clock when we think about um, sleep and when we think about training. So um, what Louis is referring to here is our propensity to be um, a night owl or a morning person, an early bird. And we actually find that more often than not, ultra endurance athletes tend to be quite morning oriented. So that means that they would often prefer an early wake up time, early training session and an early bedtime. But if you do happen to be that night owl, then you would do well to uh, train at the end of the day, have a later bedtime. Don't beat yourself up over that if it's later than most people, as long as you allow yourself the opportunity to um, sleep in a bit the next day so that you get the sleep that you need. And the other thing that you mentioned was how we handle our sleep in that um, week before. You want to be consistent. You, you definitely um, don't want to build up sleep debt in that week before. So we always say to athletes, use the week before to bank sleep because almost certainly you're going to have a pretty horrible night the night before the race. Often we're a little bit nervous. Uh, we're nervous we might oversleep and not be up in time the next day. So don't stress too much if you have a poor night right before a race. It's absolutely not the end of the world. It's much more important what you've done during training and in the week leading up to sleep that counts and to be nice and consistent with what you do. Just be careful, though, on overextending your sleep in the week before, because if you aren't tired and you don't have a good sleep need, then you're going to find you're going to lie in bed not able to sleep. And that's much worse than um, getting um, slightly shorter, good quality sleep. You speak about the night before, and I talk about the night before, not just necessarily the night before a race, the night before any special event or function or anything, an exam or whatever. I certainly, and I'm sure many people that are listening to this podcast go, I have trouble sleeping the night before because my brain is so active. How do we stop our brain from being so active, thinking about the next day 
and putting ourselves into a sleep mode. Ha, that's kind of the million dollar question, isn't it? Um, if we all knew the answer to that, we wouldn't have um, the problems of insomnia that we do face. I guess that the things to think about are what kinds of things are your brain busy thinking about that night before? And if it's around logistics and preparation and being organized, make to-do lists, be organized, make sure that you have as much prepared as you can so that you can actually give yourself permission to let go and stop thinking and planning in the time when we should be um, going to sleep. The other things to think about are to make sure that you don't eat too late, don't train or exercise too late that day either. Make sure that you've had a nice sort of relaxing afternoon, evening without too much pressure so that you've had chance to wind down and decompress before you start to go to sleep. And then if you do find yourself in that unfortunate position, lying in bed with a very busy mind and um, you're unable to sleep, you can try some deep breathing exercises, some relaxation exercises, um, just to try to help your mind um, switch off. But it's really about what you've done during the day to give yourself the headspace to be able to let go at the end of the day that counts. So, Andrew, I think you certainly qualified to uh, answer the following question, having run a 31 20, 10 uh, kilometer, two hours, 22 for the marathon, a sub six hour comrades. Uh, how did you uh, get yourself in shape just the night before? I mean, clearly there was a lot of exercise before getting into now, but the night before the race with regards to sleep, did you have a problem sleeping? Gosh, it's a long time since I last raced like that. Um, but I think actually kind of inadvertently followed what Dale has just been suggesting in that I didn't worry too much about sleep the night before I would try to get a good night's sleep or a fairly good night's sleep and I'm saying fairly because you're up early uh, for the race uh, anyway so it's never going to be quite uh, normal but I certainly try to rather sleep well about two nights and three nights before the race that's where I kind of used to try and make sure I, ha I wasn't sleep deprived in any way and then I did whatever sleep came so to speak on the night of the race I never really suffered too much from nervousness. So I never found that was a problem. But just the thing of getting up much earlier than normal for the race start and all kinds of things that you're not normally doing the night before kind of interferes a little bit. So it seemed to work out all right. So what else should runners be feeding themselves besides sleep at the moment? Obviously, they've got to feed their body with sleep. They've got to feed their body with good nutrition. They've got to exercise at a certain level. Where should they be a quarter of a month or so away from the race? But uh, I don't think it's just important a quarter of a month for the race. I, I think it's ongoing important. And what needs to be addressed is just a normal, adequate uh, diet. And I say adequate, and, or I should maybe say good, really. But making sure that uh, the diet is balanced and so on. But there's a couple of things that are particularly important which should be addressed. And that is protein intake should be be there and an adequate amount of protein is is good and then of course my uh, favorite topic making sure that you're getting enough carbohydrate and that's critical to be able to train uh, optimally and especially with doing long runs and for those runners who are doing faster harder paced uh, workouts uh, there it becomes very important so typically in terms of a training related dietary mechanisms if you like to make sure that after every day's training, you've ingested enough carbohydrate. Don't try and restrict on the carbohydrate. You want to replenish the fuel tank, so to speak. 
um, with uh, carbohydrate. Um, and after you've done your hard session, if it is a hard session that you've done, then maybe think about having some sort of a protein shake or something like that fairly soon after the training session. So it's protein to help aid with recovery and carbohydrate to replenish the body's carbohydrate fuel stores so that you can train well again the next day. What's uh, the difference in terms of, besides the obvious 14 kilometers, between a standard marathon, uh, an ultra marathon like the, the Total Sports Two Oceans, and something like the Comrades Marathon? What differentiates somebody from being able to participate and do, let's say, two hours and a couple of minutes over 42.2 kilometers, and then three hours and something over 56, and then five and a half or so? Uh, the great Bruce Fordyce ran in uh, in the comrades. The short answer is training. If if you if you manage to get yourself up to the marathon distance, uh, there's little reason why if you train properly, you shouldn't be able to finish the two oceans, the 56 kilometer uh, race distance that you refer to. You should be able to get through that without any uh, undue stress and by further adaptation of the training mainly referring to long-distance runs, is they disregard the importance of the longer training runs for the longer race distances, especially something that is particularly long, like Comrades. In, in some respect, uh, the two oceans at 56 kilometers is kind of an extended uh, marathon, but you still need to slot in one or two particularly long runs to make sure you can get through that extra distance adequately. Dale, if we can go back to you, and I asked this question because it's something that's affected me post-COVID, and that is that this sleep apnea, how bad is it for a person that doesn't get a good night's sleep, irrespective of whether you're an athlete or not, um, when you go through those phases where you basically stop breathing, don't you? Yeah, I think we must just be super clear. So, because um, you've mentioned two things in one sentence, and I just want to clarify. On one hand, you're asking about sleep apnea. On the other hand, you're asking about um, if we don't get a good night's sleep. So lots of disorders related to sleep can uh, leave you having a poor night's sleep, which um, for, for many reasons is not great. But if we zoom in on apnea specifically, so um, that's a sleep-related breathing disorder. And for anyone out there who's not sure what this is, it's a condition that while you sleep, your upper airways collapse or partially collapse. And for periods of time ranging sort of from 10 seconds up to a minute or so, you don't, um, you don't breathe normally. So your brain and your body is not receiving the oxygen that it needs. And this happens repeatedly throughout the night. And it causes um, a very, very disrupted sleep, but also puts a huge amount of stress on your, on your heart, on your cardiovascular system. So if sleep apnea is left untreated, and we, we believe that it's undiagnosed in up to 80% of people who actually have it, the, the, the long-term consequences for you in terms of um, cardiovascular disease risk specifically are really, really um, not good. So we, we do like to make sure that um, if you suspect that you have um, sleep apnea and you as a sufferer actually wouldn't know, it's quite bizarre, you might just identify with being maybe a, um, a noisy snorer, 
but your bed partner would notice that perhaps you, you do stop breathing in the night and they keep wondering if you're going to reinitiate breathing. This is often followed by a snort or a gasp. So if you're concerned, you must go and see your doctor, report the symptoms and um, potentially have it checked out so that you can be sure either way it, it is a treatable sleep disorder. And once it is under control, the difference to your daytime function and your quality of life is absolutely staggering. You absolutely hit the nail on the head. And again, um, as you mentioned, in my case, and not wanting to turn the interview into my situation, but I do now, considering that I've found out that I have sleep apnea, I wake up in the morning and I feel like I've had a night's sleep because I've been on a machine that's made sure that the next door neighbor doesn't hear me snoring. But how many hours sleep should the average person get at night? That's a good question. So the guidelines are that for the general population, adults, so anything from 18 up to about 64 years, um, require in the region of seven to nine hours of sleep per night. And what I really like about this guideline is that it doesn't say everybody must get eight. There's already a two hour range there. But it also acknowledges that probably 5% of the population can get away with six hours. That's what their biological need is. And another 5% or so would probably need up to 10 hours. So there's actually quite a large range. And it's really important that you figure out what your own sleep sweet spot is, which can change. Because as your training load goes up, your sleep need goes up. So although the recommendations for the general population are seven to nine hours of good quality sleep per night, because quality trumps duration um, any day, it's also really important to understand that athletes or people with a high training load will have a higher sleep need. So you can probably add on a good 30 minutes to those recommendations because that's the sleep that you need to help you adapt to your training. And do you need more sleep to recover after a 56-kilometer marathon, for example? To some extent, I think a lot of the, the, the sort of physical fatigue that you're feeling and often, I, mean, I think, don't forget about the mental fatigue from, from being in a race um, scenario. We definitely could do with a good recovery sleep. Um, and I mean, one of the reasons for that is that that race is actually just another training stimulus and you want to treat it like any other training stimulus and get the best you can out of it. So you might as well get a good night of sleep in after the race to make sure that you um, are fitter than before, fitter than you went in. Andrew, let's go back to you for a moment. Um, where right now should the uh, average runner who's running the two oceans because he just wants to, he's not looking to win the race, um, where in his training schedule should he be? And if he's not at that level, what should he or she do? Right. Well, that's a good question. I'm going to approach it this way. I think that what, what uh, the runner should do is uh, look ahead to where the race date is and say, okay, on that day, I have to be ready to run 56 kilometers. Then look back to where they currently are. So like this weekend and assess their, their current longest training run. Uh, say it's been 35 Ks or 40 kilometers or something like that. And then say, okay, so I've got so many weekends uh, in which to get up to as high a training run as I possibly can within in reason. So let's just say, for example, somebody is currently at a level where they, their longest training run to date has been 35 kilometers. Uh, they know that they're running this 56 kilometer race. And ideally, 
a couple of weeks before that race should maybe try to get at least a long run in that is in the high 40s as a as a training session in their legs so in a nutshell in an answer to your question look at where you currently are and try and build up in the weeks that you have left try and put in training runs that are progressively longer leading up close to 50 k's some two or three weeks before uh, before the race and if you are in a fairly good situation that you already have a 40 kilometer somewhere around about there in your legs, uh, then you can maybe have a week or so where you have a lesser distance to let your legs recover a little bit before doing the, the longest training run. Just a couple of weeks ago, in fact, less than that, South African uh, Stephen Makoko broke the world 50 kilometer uh, record, two hours, 40.13. That's quite remarkable, isn't it? Yes, it's been quite a long-standing record. Uh, the world record for time stood with Thompson Magawana, uh, who ran slower than that time that you just referred to on the Two Oceans course, since we're talking about the Two Oceans. And of course, that includes Chapman's Peak and uh, Constantia Neck. So that is an astounding run. But yes, absolutely, always good to see the 50K uh, record has been broken. Why do you think the men's and ladies' records for the total sports two oceans marathon have stood for so long. 88 and 89, the two records were set. Um, yet nobody's broken either of those records in such a long time. Those records were, were set, uh, villages football grounds. And so the run-in was very quick, whereas now you actually climb a little bit. Dale, just a final question uh, to to you. Any advice that you've got for athletes, both the ultra marathon and the half marathon that you'd like to impart to them at this stage? I guess the most important thing is just, um, I mean, bank sleep as much as you can um, coming up to this event. Try and work out what your true sleep need is uh, so that you are trying to hit that um, spot as regularly as possible but probably the most important thing is don't stress if you have a couple of bad nights and if it all goes a little bit wrong um, here or there we're human and these things happen and especially when we're anxious or a little bit stressed about events we're going to have a couple of nights of bad sleep and it's absolutely not a train smash but I would just think that moving forward see what you can do to protect sleep time and to integrate it into a really important component of your training and recovery program. So any final words from you for athletes uh, at the end of this uh, podcast? Yes, I'll take two different approaches to that. The one is with regard to the race itself and pacing. I think that athletes must be very careful about how they uh, approach the start of the race, whether they're well-trained or uh, not so well-trained. That could be critical in terms of the outcome of the race, in terms of whether you start too fast or not. And the thing that makes that particularly difficult, maybe, is that uh, you're all hyped up for the race. Um, you've backed off your training a little bit, so the legs are feeling fresh. Uh, and uh, you've got a nice flat uh, first part to the race. So it's very easy to start uh, too fast. So I think something that runners can help themselves with is looking at how fast they should uh, start the race. And One way to do that is to look at a recent best marathon time. If you've done something like two oceans and you can take that time. And if you multiply it by 1.44, that will give you a good idea of the time that you're likely to be able to finish the two oceans in. 
that of course uh, must be adjusted a little bit in, in terms of whether the the race that you're using is a flat race such as a peninsula or the more hilly as an example uh, west coast race but it gives you a fairly good idea uh, nevertheless of what your, your finishing time might be so let's just say uh, you do that calculation and you come up with four hours if you're hoping to do that then make sure that you don't start at a pace that is faster uh, than that or only marginally faster than that at best to account for a little bit of the time that you're going to lose uh, on the hilly sections of the race over Chapman's Peak and over Constantia Neck. So the, 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 the most important thing I think related to that is uh, have a realistic uh, finishing time for oceans, work out what that is per kilometer and don't go like way faster than that in the first part of the, the race because you're going to uh, pay for it later. The other thing that I was going to say when you asked that question was to make sure that you taper off your training in the uh, last little while before the race, but to keep some aspect of running going. Don't just stop all training. Your body at this point is used to regular training sessions. And if you just stop everything for want of a non-scientific way of putting it, just seizes up. So you need to keep up with your regular training sessions, although they might be shorter and might be a little bit slower and, and so on, but you do need to, to cut back on the training, but at the same time, not stopping uh, altogether. And allied to that, uh, making sure that you uh, ingest enough carbohydrates in the last couple of days before the race, last two days or so, to make sure you fill up your uh, muscles with enough fuel for the race. So it's kind of like filling up your car's fuel tank before a long trip. Dr. Dale Ray, Professor Andrew Bosch, it's been an absolute pleasure. Your insight has been invaluable. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this episode of our 2022 Total Sports Two Oceans Marathon podcast series. The Two Oceans Marathon is proudly sponsored by Total Sports. All rights to this podcast belong to the Two Oceans Marathon NPC.